I think the president lives in an alternative uh, reality world. We all do now, Madam Mayor. We all do, apparently. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, where it's 100 degrees in late October, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day, no matter how warm, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Desi Doyen, not strange at all that it is 100 degrees out here in Los Angeles, and it is almost Halloween. Yeah, late October. Yeah, nothing weird about that at all. Nothing to worry Mm -mm. about, Uh, and that's going to continue for the next several days. Let's hope the fires don't torch up again down here in Southern California. But right now, uh, heat is the least of our problems, it seems, at least for the uh, immediate circumstances. In a rare joint appearance on Saturday night, all five living former presidents, Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Barack Obama gathered for a fundraising concert to help Those affected by the record-breaking hurricanes that struck Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. President Trump did not attend the fundraiser. He sent a videotaped message, choosing instead to spend the weekend at one of his golf courses. The sold-out concert at Texas A&M University uh, raised more than $31 million in private funds from 80,000 donors, but of course it will take... Far more than that, tens of billions, in fact, to fully recover from these storms, these record storms. And nowhere right now is the damage and suffering still more widespread and desperate than across much of Puerto Rico. Uh, Coming up, we will be joined by a former Puerto Rican energy commissioner now on the Sierra Club's National Board of Directors. Warning that as the island of three and a half million U.S. citizens continues to struggle to survive, they must be aware of vultures descending on the island. Oh, goody. Particularly when it comes to rebuilding the nation's energy grid. No, not uh, not actual vultures, the economic kind. 
That energy grid is still down across most of the island. <clears throat> Some, what are we, more than a month now after the... Uh, Hurricane made landfall with uh, some of its uh, some 80 percent of its citizens still left in the dark. So uh, anyway, not literal vultures, but the economic kind. Uh, he will be here to talk about that as he is just back from the island himself uh, to explain the circumstances on the ground and how Puerto Rico can and should move forward. In the meantime, uh, where natural disasters are not enough for the U.S. to struggle with right now. Our president still seems dead set on creating uh, a man-made disaster uh, himself. Uh, while much of the media are distracted, it seems, uh, by the ugly, unbelievably ugly politics coming out of Washington, D.C., largely from the president of the United States, worries persist about his reaction to nuclear-armed North Korea. President Donald Trump on Sunday, struck an ominous tone with remarks on North Korea, saying the U.S. is prepared for anything, but it would be nice not to do that, whatever that means. Uh, he said, we are prepared for anything. We are so well prepared like you wouldn't believe this in an interview on Fox News on Sunday. He said, you, you would be shocked to see how totally prepared we are if we need to be, he added. Would it be nice not to do that? The answer is yes. Will that happen? Who knows, he said. What exactly What was he referring to there? Well, you take your pick. The White House uh, has announced that Trump will uh, ask U.S. allies to put pressure on North Korea regarding its nuclear program when he travels to Japan, South Korea, China, Vietnam, and the Philippines uh, from, let's see, November 3 to November 14 for what will be his longest foreign trip to date. What could possibly go wrong there? An unnamed White House official on Monday who briefed reporters on the upcoming trip said in what I think is probably good news that Trump is unlikely to visit the demilitarized zone separating North and South Korea during his visit. Oh, that is good news. I think it is good well, let's news. Let's hope they stick to it. According to the Washington Post, Trump plans instead to speak to uh, U.S. and South Korean troops at Camp Humphreys, which is about 55 miles south of Seoul. Uh, that at the invitation of South Korean President Moon Jae-in. According to the White House official, as reported by The Washington Post, they note that since Ronald Reagan, every American president except for George H.W. Bush has visited the DMZ, the heavily guarded strip of land um, that has divided North and South Korea for some 64 years. The Trump administration has reportedly been divided over whether they should send Trump to the DMV, uh, DMZ not to the DMV, but to the DMZ. Uh, <laughs> it's a little different. Um, yeah. Amid uh, concerns from uh, the South Korean president uh, and the U.S. State Department that uh, a visit like that could further inflame tensions with Pyongyang. And we do not need those tensions to be further inflamed right now. The White House official said that Trump's personal security was not the concern. He's not afraid. He's not, he's not uh, avoiding it because he's afraid. They want us to know. Uh, but that there is just not enough time for the president to visit both Camp Humphreys and the outpost along the border on that 12-day overseas trip to Asia. As noted, I, I think that's probably good news. Uh, less good news, however, comes via an exclusive over the weekend from um, 
uh, Marcus Weisgerber of national uh, the national security news outlet Defense One. This is troubling to me. The U.S. Air Force is preparing to put nuclear-armed bombers back on 24-hour ready alert, a status not seen since the Cold War ended in 1991, says Weiss-Gerber over at Defense One. That means the long-dormant concrete pads at the end of the 11,000-foot runways at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana could once again find several B-52s parked on them. With laden with nuclear weapons and set to take off at a moment's notice. This is yet one more step in ensuring that we're prepared, General David Goldfein, Air Force Chief of Staff, said in an interview. Uh, prepared for what? He said, I look at it more as not planning for any specific event, but more for the reality of the global situation we find ourselves in and how we ensure we're prepared going forward. Prepared to drop nuclear weapons from planes? Really? Where? On whom? Goldfine and other senior defense officials stressed that the alert uh, order had not yet been given, but that preparations were underway in anticipation that it might come. Putting the B-52s back on alert is just one of the many uh, decisions facing the Air Force as the U.S. military responds to a changing geopol geopolitical environment. That includes North Korea's rapidly advancing nuclear arsenal, reports Defense One, President Trump's confrontational approach to Pyongyang, and Russia's increasingly potent and active armed forces. This news outlet says, really? We're arming because of Russia? Arming, uh, putting nuclear weapons onto planes because of Russia? Really? Please. The world is a dangerous place, and we've got folks that are talking about openly uh, openly about the use of nuclear weapons, Goldfein said. Yeah, folks uh, openly talk, like our president, who He's is talking folks. about it. He's yeah. been talking about it. It's no longer a bipolar world out there where it's just us and the Soviet Union. We've got other players out there who have nuclear capability. He said it's never been more important to make sure that we get this mission right. Um, this is... Uh, during his uh, trip across the country, Goldfein had encouraged airmen to think beyond Cold War uses for ICBMs, bombers, and nuclear cruise missiles, asked if placing B-52s back on alert as they were for decades would help with deterrence. Goldfein said, well, it's hard to say. Really depends on who, what kind of behavior we're talking about, and whether we're paying attention to our readiness status, he said. Already various improvements have been made. To prepare the uh, Air Force Base at Barksdale um, to return B-52s to an alert posture. Uh, this report goes on to note that uh, there's a, a hangar nearby, an old concrete building nearby the uh, nearby these strips where the B-52 crews would sleep during the Cold War, ready to run their aircraft and take off at a moment's notice. That structure is being renovated. Beds are being installed. For more than 100 crew members, more than enough for the crews that would man bombers positioned on the nine alert pads outside the building. Barksdale and other bases with nuclear bombers are preparing to build storage facilities for a new nuclear cruise missile that is under development. Goldfein uh, received updates during his trip on the preliminary work for a proposed replacement 
for the 400-plus Minuteman three intercontinental ballistic missiles and the new long-range cruise missile. But, of course, if any other countries develop ICBMs, like, say, North Korea or Iran, this president has suggested uh, that we should go to war with them. To which I say, WTF. Stephen Schwartz, however, had uh, a much more measured response. Uh, He's the co-author of uh, the book Atomic Audit, The Cost of Consequences, Costs and Consequences of U.S. Nuclear Weapons Since 1940, uh, and an adjunct professor at uh, the uh, Middlebury Institute of International Studies. I hope we're going to be able to talk to him more uh, in the days ahead. We're trying to get in touch with him, but he goes by Atomic Analyst on Twitter. He says, what's what's the real justification for this other than the U.S. Air Force desire to make the triads bomber leg more visible? He says B-52s have been on armed ground alert for more than 26 years. I should say haven't. He says they haven't been on armed ground alert for more than 26 years. So for 26 years, we have not had this ground alert is what he's saying. Suddenly we need to. Hmm. He says, are we afraid of a a first strike by North Korea, by Russia? By China, B-52s were last on ground alert back in 1991. There were about 40 spread across several bases. He says doing that again would be very expensive and points out that we already maintain some 400 single warhead ICBMs that are already on 24-7 alert, plus five ballistic missile submarines on hard alert carrying hundreds of ballistic missiles armed with some 400 to 500 warheads, not to mention some seven other uh, uh, submarines transiting to and from patrol areas. Why isn't that sufficient to deter adversaries and reassure allies? Don't know. He says returning fueled and armed B-52 bombers to 24-7 ground alert will needlessly increase the risk of a serious nuclear accident. And then he adds, P.S., if you think Russia won't see this as provocative and react accordingly, I've got a lovely and profitable Trump casino to sell you. Um, In the meantime, uh, I know we have to get to our guest here uh, momentarily, uh, but some lawmakers uh, are now citing the deaths of four U.S. soldiers ambushed by terrorists in Niger to call on Congress to finally reconsider the authority that has been granted, the broad authority that has been granted to the president of the United States, any president of the United States, uh, through the authorization of use of military force, the AUMF that was passed after the uh, 9-11 attacks back in 2001 and have been used to justify wars everywhere since then. Uh, including attacks on Syria, which had clearly had nothing to do with 9-11. Now committee chair in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Bob Corker, said in a statement that the current threats make it perhaps more important than ever that we have a sober national conversation about Congress's constitutional role in authorizing the use of military force. Yes, current threats from whom? I don't think he says, but yes, Senator Corker, I think that would be appropriate. Uh, Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia, says the same. Uh, So, you know, that would have been nice rather than lauding Donald Trump lobbing those missiles into the uh, sovereign nation of Syria a few months ago. It would have been nice had they said at the same time, called him out for that and asked where the president thinks he gets his authority to do so. 
He does cite the AUMF for that. So, yeah, it is time, especially now that you have what appears to be a president threatening nuclear war against North Korea and the U.S. military now actually preparing for such a war. How far is this going to go? And as usual, will Congress wait until after something unspeakable has happened to actually take action? My guess is yes, but I suppose I have gotten cynical in my old age. Meanwhile, we have some uh, three and a half million U.S. citizens who have been without water uh, and uh, without power for over a month. Many of them still without running water or other basic services and still waiting for billions of dollars in relief aid to allow them to fix it. Let's take a quick break here. We'll uh, find out what is being done to restore Puerto Rico's power grid some 33 days after Hurricane Maria first made landfall and what should be done to avoid such crises in the future. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Electricity is something you don't notice until it's gone, writes Vox.com's Yochi Driesen from Puerto Rico today. On the mainland U.S., where power outages are rare and brief, he writes, Americans are used to simply flipping a switch and watching the lights come on, plugging in an air conditioner and feeling the cold air and trusting that your refrigerator will keep fresh food and milk from going bad. When the power goes out... That sense of comfort quickly disappears, Driesen says. The parts of daily life that were once taken for granted are suddenly gone, with no clear sense of when they'll be back. To not have power, to be literally and figuratively in the dark, is to leave the modern world and retreat into an older and more precarious one in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. That's Puerto Rico's new normal. According to the FEMA website, as of October 23, that's 33 days after Maria first made landfall, 82% of Puerto Rican customers are without electricity still. 26% are without running water. All of that while the temperature is a very muggy 85 degrees in San Juan today. 
Driesen writes, the lack of electricity doesn't simply mean months, yes, months of hardship for the hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans who will be without air conditioners, fans, televisions, and refrigerators for the foreseeable future. It's also significantly slowing the entire U.S. relief effort and preventing other vital parts of the island's battered infrastructure from coming back online. Internet and cell phone service cannot be fully restored without a steady flow of electricity to individual cell towers. The pumps, filtration systems, and other equipment used to treat sewage and provide clean drinking water also cannot function without power. The lack of electricity is significantly slowing the entire U.S. relief effort on Puerto Rico. People need to understand that this is not something that can be turned on tomorrow, says Jose Sanchez, who is leading the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers program to restore the electric grid across Puerto Rico. This is something that's going to take months to fix. Sanchez tells Vox.com that the uh, Corps could eventually bring at least 500 of its employees to the island. Well, what's the holdup, Mr. Sanchez? along with some 1,000 private contractors. The island, he says, can't recover, much less prosper, without a power grid that is back up and running across the island of some 3.5 million U.S. citizens who continue to suffer and face dangers from heat, bacterial diseases, inoperable sewage and water systems, food shortages, and hospitals and medical facilities still only partially operating and relying on diesel-fueled generators to keep the lights on at all, to perform important medical procedures like surgery, as well as keep patients and their medications cool and safe. Sanchez says, I think of electricity like water, as a basic need and a basic requirement to have a semi-normal life. Electricity, he says, is the linchpin of everything. All of that, as Vox reports, while both Puerto Rico itself and its government-owned power company, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, or PREPA, has essentially declared forms of bankruptcy before the two record storms, Irma and then Maria, devastated the island. But as to those 1,000 private contractors Sanchez mentioned, well, that could be a signal of other problems to come. Ramon Cruz, a former commissioner of the Puerto Rico Energy Commission, warned recently in an op-ed for The Hill that even amidst the suffering, Puerto Ricans must be wary of offers to help solve the island's energy crisis. After having lived through the worst and gotten used to misery, Cruz writes, the people of Puerto Rico are about to experience the sequel to disaster. Vultures will arrive to feast on the opportunities presented by recovery efforts. Here to discuss those opportunities and those feasting vultures is Ramon Cruz. As I said, he's a former commissioner of the Puerto Rico Energy Commission and a former vice president of the Puerto Rico Environmental Quality Board. He is currently an independent environmental policy consultant for U.N. environmental processes like the Paris Climate Agreement and the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals. He also serves on the Sierra Club's National Board of Directors. Ramon Cruz, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks, uh, Brad, and to all your audience. Uh, thanks for having me. Sure. I Listen, I want to talk, Ramon, uh, uh, about your vulture concerns and uh, recommendations for how Puerto Rico needs to proceed 
toward uh, a renewable energy future and a grid that will be less archaic and susceptible to uh, the type of widespread outages and, and, and that it had seen even before Maria, but certainly after Maria. But uh, since I, I know that you just arrived back to the mainland here, I think uh, a week or so ago from Puerto Rico, and may now have brought a cold with you. So thank you for joining us. Anyway, <laughs> I, I want I want to get a sense first of, of how things are going right now on on the ground there in Puerto Rico. We hear you know one thing from the president of the United States and something else uh, coming out of Puerto Rico itself. Can you give us sort of an update on on what you saw when you were there? Um, well, unfortunately, many of the stories that uh, that you see in the news are true. I mean, the the recovery efforts uh, were so slow to come from the federal government, even from the from the state government, that certainly makes us feel as uh, second class citizens. Um, the uh, so it's basically what you see in the news, and sometimes even worse. Uh, the situation in the metropolitan area of San Juan, uh, you know, has definitely improved. But inside the island is is uh, definitely much worse, getting worse by the day, you know, when you don't have electricity for a whole month, mm-hmm. when you don't know when it's your next, uh, you know, uh, meal, hot meal, uh, that you're not using just, you know, um canned sausages or or you know the um i mean any any kind of of uh, of canned food mm-hmm. no uh and uh, so it's it's very heartbreaking when you see the amount of i mean when you look into the horizon when you only see saw trees in the past now looks like uh more like a like a fire went through or a war mm-hmm. where you barely have any trees uh to provide you know any shadows or any relief when you uh, drive, you know, and it's at night, and you only see with the lights of your of your car just mountains of debris on the side. So it is very chaotic. The intersection has no traffic lights. So it is really, it becomes very chaotic to, to drive around. Uh, I remember coming back, coming to New York, and then seeing all the, uh, so many families saying goodbye to each other because, uh, uh, they're, they're migrating basically to to the U.S. Uh, at least mm-hmm. to to have some relief uh, in the meantime. But I'm sure many of them will probably stay for good, uh, as the opportunities in the island are very um, scarce right now. I'm struck, Ramon. You say things are getting worse. We are a month out from this thing, and it still feels, uh, at least outside of the capital of San Juan, that things are getting worse. Not yet better in those uh, locations? Um, yeah, because uh, many, I mean, you still have uh, towns that are that are not uh, connected or that are not communicated at all. I, I cannot, my father, for example, lives in, in a town called Rio Grande. It's only about 45 minutes from San Juan. Still, I cannot talk to him on the phone. Mm. Um, I know that, uh, you know, and they don't have any electricity nor uh, water service uh so uh so for many i mean and imagine you know when when you're uh, a patient that needs uh you know special care and you're in the mountains in the town in the mountains you may not have um you know some of them have received a visit from the authorities only once 
if any, you know, and to bring, you know, uh, a couple of uh, of uh, water bottles and uh, some canned sausages or some, you know, uh, yeah. I mean the 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 the, the food in the in the FEMA, um, you know, packages sometimes are not the most healthy ones either. So uh, yeah. so it's it's very yeah it's very unfortunate for many. Donald Trump gave himself uh, and the federal relief efforts a 10 out of 10, you may have heard, uh, late last week when he was asked about it at the White House during a, a press avail with the Puerto Rican governor, Ricardo uh, Rosseo there. Uh, how, how would you rate the effort uh, on, that, uh, on that same scale, Ramon? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's difficult to, uh, to, for me to, to give, uh, you know, to give grades given that I haven't graded any other a relief efforts in the past. Mm. How I can say what I can say is that it's very unfortunate that he brings it back to himself and to what grade uh, would he give? You know, mm -hmm. ultimately, who cares about uh, what grade he he gives if if there's still people that uh, have all these necessities? You know, so mm -hmm. it's really infuriating to see that uh, that brings it back there. Uh, back to that, when he visited the island, he said, "Well, this is not major issue because not that many people try, uh, you know, were were killed, uh, you know, like Katrina." And yeah, I mean that that happens because you know from the winds itself, you know, a lot of people may have concrete houses or part, or they were able to seek refuge. But the fact that uh, they lost everything and uh, that they still haven't have access, they're you know drinking contaminated water uh, in thing, in ways that are preventable, completely preventable, um, you know, then that that's the real disaster. So in that in that case, I would definitely give, you know, uh, uh, if I could give negative points, I would, I would give that. <laughs> we're, we're told by, uh, by, by Trump and other federal officials that the effort there is unprecedented, uh, but that where food and water is is uh, getting to the island is not getting where it needs to be still now more than a month after the disaster is that they have the federal government has been essentially laying blame at the at the foot of local officials rather than the federal government. Uh, I'm curious your response to that, Ramon. Uh, well, I mean, again, I mean, it, it, you you need to have in moments like this, you need a, a, a complete coordination of all the efforts. And uh, it's not only state versus federal. You know, here you needed to have somebody, you know, some central command that uh, that needed to call the shots, that needed to ease, you know, things like they, they gave a waiver of uh, 10 days of the Jones Act uh, that basically, don't uh, you know, would allow other uh, ships from other uh, flags, other countries, mm -hmm. to come to the rescue, uh, you know, in ways that U.S. ships haven't been able to. And now there's a, there's a lot of cargo there, but then all the bureaucracies to to let it happen, to let it go through, it's, you know, it, it's ridiculous. There's a lot of things that you cannot travel, that you cannot, uh, you know, take by, by plane. Like uh, you know, a lot of lithium batteries, for example, mm -hmm. to to power solar systems. So all that we, you know, we need to have. And yesterday, I was talking to to some uh, friends and colleagues that work in the in the solar industry, and they're saying, you know, we got a great shipment of uh, you know uh, hundred uh, pallets, I think you call it mm -hmm. in English, of of you know solar panels. But still, it will take at least a month 
to go through all the shipping, you know, processes and all that. So, but, you know, that's, that's too bad that uh, that's what's happening, you know, and still there's conversations of um, in Puerto Rico of, or in Congress, actually, of waiving environmental regulations. That's not the kind of regulations that you should be looking to ease these days. But yeah. it is a lot of the logistical and bureaucracies to get things inside the island, uh, get uh, the Jones Act should be lifted, you know, at least a year, if not forever, for Puerto Rico. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you know, that that's the kind of things where the federal government could actually help a lot. Yeah, and you say there's a hundred pa- uh, uh, pallets of solar panels sitting there not getting out where they need to be, and I want to ask you about rebuilding the grid and, and your recommendations and warnings there as well, but uh, before last question before we do, uh, I want to just get, what do you find that Americans on the mainland here don't currently understand about this crisis in Puerto Rico, and more importantly, where would you send those people who would like to like to help somehow? Well, there is a there is a big effort. I think. I mean, in terms of of uh, human power, you have a lot of uh, able Puerto Ricans to help. Mm-hmm. I think there should be, you know, somewhere where, you know, as a policy person, I think somewhere, uh, you know, Americans in the mainland could help a lot by uh, putting pressure in their elected officials to. Then, uh, you know, have uh, a decent relief package to Puerto Rico or to hurricane-affected uh, areas, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to have, a, for example, a, a climate adaptation plan, you know, something I think everywhere in the coast, everywhere that is vulnerable to climate change, to global warming, there should be uh, um, a plan for how to deal with, you know, uh, small... Uh, I mean, to, how to deal with essential infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So things like that is is extremely important. Uh, so it's the political pressure. Then all the relief, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are providing relief. We're still in a survival mode. There's still a lot of organizations that are preparing food, preparing basic needs for uh, Puerto Ricans. So I, w- I would say that, uh, and then there's going to be a lot of materials needed. And materials, not so much. I, I mean, everything is is welcomed, of course. But I would say water filtration plan, uh, water filters, mm-hmm. uh, filtration plants, uh, solar equipment that could work without, you know, uh, uh, without adding to the amount of debris and uh, toxic waste that is being created. So batteries, of course, are needed. You couldn't find any. Uh, D-sized batteries in the island, or any, I mean, I didn't enter in any of the, mm-hmm. any sort that you could find any batteries at all. You mm-hmm. could not. Uh, so, you know, of course that's needed, but actually, you know, why not using uh, solar lamps? Why not, why not using, you know, chargers that you could uh, put a solar cell mm-hmm. outside and charge your uh, battery so that you can power uh, a fan at night? Yeah, you know, so things like that are very much needed right now, uh, desperately in the island. Of course, that's not all that's desperately needed. Let me take a quick break, and we'll come back with Ramon Cruz. Uh, I want to ask about this report from FEMA about the fluctuating power levels, which seems very strange. 
uh, and of course about the vultures who are now descending on uh, Puerto Rico and uh, how Puerto Rico will be able to move forward appropriately and safely and smartly. All of that and more with Ramon Cruz, formerly of the Puerto Rico Energy Commission. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, please. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I'm speaking with Ramon Cruz, former commissioner of the Puerto Rico. Energy Commission, now on the National Board of Directors on the uh, Sierra Club and an advisor to the U.N. concerning environmental issues. Uh, Ramon, the uh, power has been um, restored in uh, Puerto Rico now, supposedly to about 20 percent, at least as of midweek last week, uh, according to FEMA. But by Friday, it had gone down to 15 percent. Ramon Cruz, as a a former commissioner uh, on the uh, Puerto Rico Energy Commission, do you have any idea uh, what's happening, how, why the power is fluctuating even after being restored in some areas? Well, the, the problem, the main problem is that, uh, you know, much of the, most of the transmission lines are down. So the transmission lines means, you know, those huge towers that you may see when you're driving through, uh, you know, in a highway mm-hmm. and you see them that, uh, you know, they're very big. A lot of those are down. Uh, so you had uh, Puerto Rico, even though the territory is small, you have in the center of the island, you have a lot of mountains. And the big generation, uh, most of the generation or the majority, is happening in the southern part of the island, where you have a, a more a, like an easier way of getting in fuel, etc. Because the Caribbean Sea is much more calm than the Atlantic Ocean that is in the north of the island. So most of the generation happens in the south. However, most of the demand is in the north. Mm-hmm. So. You need those transmission lines to bring the power from the south to the north. What happened, and you saw that that fluctuation in the in the you know in the in the in the grid, is because they the generation the big generators didn't suffer as much as the line. Mm-hmm. So they put back up the uh, generator that is near San Juan, but the demand is so you know. Uh, so strong, so mm-hmm. huge that uh, it basically made the system uh, collapse, mm. and uh, and then you had that problem. So you need definitely the generation from the south to cover for that. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult to to bring back. So basically, they brought the the they lit up 
too quickly. Uh-huh. And uh, then people were just, you know, uh, thirsty of, of power, and, yeah. and that made the system collapse. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm sure they can bring that easier than bringing some of the towers that, uh, that were down from the so, transmission line. So the generating plants themselves, in theory, they're fine, they're working, but there's just basically no uh, transmission w- wires over the mountains from the south to the north, uh, or at least, I guess, uh, um, three or four of them are down at this point? Well, let me, let me backtrack then a little bit. It's yeah. not that they're fine. They are as they were before the, right. the hurricane, you know, or didn't suffer as much. Right. I have to definitely say... You know, a lot of these generators are decades old. Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico didn't invest for decades in the or PREPA didn't invest in new generators. So you have these monstrosities of this very centralized system that were there, you know, mm-hmm. seeing some of them, you know, uh, since the 60s or 70s. Uh, and, uh, and so they're very inefficient. They have, they op- get, uh, you know, they operate with uh, with some of the dirtiest fuels uh, right now, mm-hmm. and uh, and they should have been uh, changed and retired long time ago, but because of uh, several reasons of mismanagement, everything from mismanagement, corruption, lack of capital, uh, lack of creativity, of uh, you know, bad business business models, etc. They were not changed, mm-hmm. and now you see this uh, this kind of effect. And of course, I didn't mean that they were uh, fine; that they were great. I meant that uh, they are were generally working in the state they were before. But it's that it's the power lines that are holding us up. Uh, you. Uh, you write in your uh, in your piece at the Hill that you are a strong advocate for solar and believe it is essential for cities and states nationwide to commit to 100% renewable energy. Nonetheless, it is important to proceed with caution so that these goals are achieved the right way. Uh, what what does that mean, and how should Puerto Rico consider rebuilding its power grid? Uh, at this point, even while it's struggling just to just to get power to uh, you know its its uh, residents, citizens across the island. Uh, well, you know the the problem usually with uh, uh, with solar, and again, I, I'm I'm a strong advocate. I think you know cities in the U.S. should mm-hmm. be switching to that pledging. We have a, a big campaign at the Sierra Club on on, tra- on switching to 100 percent renewables. Uh, but you have to do it. You know, not all the grids are equipped to, okay, I put the solar panels and that's it. You know, there's a bunch of uh, not only technical but regulatory issues that you have to take, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you have to take into consideration. Now, in, in a place like Puerto Rico that we have abundant, abundant sun for a long periods of time and the whole year you could, uh, you could uh, do that, you still need, you still have moments of the day that you don't have electricity, right? I mean, you don't have uh, the sun. Sunshine, right. Um, you know, sun energy. So you have to deal with storage. The storage, uh, unfortunately, is quite expensive, uh, you know, to power uh, the level of demand that you that you require, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there are um, ways of dealing with that with more efficient equipment, uh, both at the consumer end, but also at the generation. Uh, so if you would have um, generators that are smaller, that are more distributed around the grid, you could deal with cloudy days or how to uh, 
deal with the demand at night in an easier way. Uh, and in that way also, whenever a hurricane, like, I mean, with Maria, it was it would have been very tough because it really devastated the whole island. Mm -hmm. But we have had hurricanes in the past where part of the island gets uh, wrecked, the other part of the, uh, the island could pick it up or, you mm -hmm. know, could uh, could help out. So, uh, so if you had smaller grids, distributed generation to cover for that and then, you know, put solar panels all over the place. Whoever can afford it, you know, will have better uh, batteries, mm -hmm. but if not, at least you will ensure that there's enough storage for critical infrastructure, so, such as hospitals, sewage treatment plants, you know, water plants, uh, a, you know, uh, city halls, uh, where you have the center of, uh, you know, government making, you know, key decisions in this moment so that they don't have to be doing it in the dark, you know, I mean, and in the dark, by that I mean, like, without knowing what's happening in the rest of the world, and that's what was happening in many of the municipalities in Puerto Rico. Uh, Elon Musk of, uh, of Tesla has offered to come in and, and help build microgrids with uh, solar panels and massive battery storage all over the island. Uh, I believe German company Sonnen has uh, suggested something similar. Uh, it, it, are, are those sort of decentralized microgrids what you are talking about? Or, maybe this is an and or, Ramon, uh, are, are, are those the vultures that you're, you're concerned about coming into the island? Well, I, I hope they're not. So far, you know, they uh, they seem to have donated a couple of the of the power walls. Uh, mm -hmm. They are um, there's a lot of opportunity, and uh, you know, I I don't know what's in their mind. However, I must say, you know, all everybody who can help, the help is welcome. However, you know, to make a dent into Puerto Rico's, um, you know, demand you would need so many of these that it would be impossible to uh, to um, to cover for that. You know, if if one of those uh, of those batteries cost uh, you know six thousand dollars over a, a bit over six thousand dollars, and uh, even if they make it at cost, uh, you know five thousand. You know, how many families would be able to do that? You know, so certainly you may be able to power. A key infrastructure and hospitals mm -hmm. with those, but can you really uh, bring back demand uh, the way it was? You know, it would have to be a mix of things. So, one putting all your eggs in one uh, in one basket is not is not possible. You know, a lot of those uh, batteries depend on lithium. You know, right now it's only a handful of countries that have that. Uh, so far, everything is going well, but what happens if, you know, the whole world switches to solar and the only way to do it is with a lithium-based battery, and uh, you have a cardo like the OPEC, you know, uh, into that, you know, so there are many what-ifs, so, I mean, uh, Mr. Moss, uh, you know, uh, proposal is great, I think definitely it's part of the answer, uh, they should be, and, you know, the more they can they can show the world that this is possible, uh, the better it is. However, you know, you can, you have to do many other things, uh, you know, to, to be sure that you're covering all your bases. There was so one, one, one solution fits all. It's usually not the, uh, 
not the answer. There was uh, another solution, uh, of course, other than solar is wind. I know there's a lot of wind in Puerto Rico. Uh, the Vox piece that I was quoting quoting from uh, earlier uh, notes that uh, Puerto Rico has plenty of sun and wind to allow for solar and wind power. And though uh, one of the solar plants, I guess one of the solar farms there was damaged by the storm, there's a wind turbine farm that is said to be in perfect operating condition to power tens of thousands of homes. But it just needs power, apparently, from the main electric grid to essentially turn on the turbines. Um, how, how, how could that or should that have been avoided? I mean, it seems crazy that you've got these working turbines that they can't use simply because the, they just need enough electricity, essentially, to, to flip the switch to turn them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that particular case, but, uh, but again, in general, uh, it's healthier if you use a diverse portfolio mm-hmm. of, uh, of sources. So you will need to make a transition. You will need to plan, and there's an opportunity now to make it happen. Tidal power as well, you know, a hydro, different different aspects. You have to be sure that not all of the, you know, that you're not basically just betting on one technology. You and uh, and in Puerto Rico, there's an opportunity to develop a few of them. You warn about uh, vultures now coming in. Well, there'll be, um, well, there's some $5 billion uh, in, in a, a disaster relief loan that is supposed, not, not, not just, a, not just a, a gift, a grant, but a loan to Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, that will, for some reason, need to be paid back. Um, but who will, you talk about the vultures, and they'll be looking at that sort of money, obviously, that is now will soon be available, hopefully, to the island. But who will decide how Puerto Rico moves forward? Will it be Puerto Rico itself, or will the federal government, uh, because they now are you know, loaning this money, uh, will, will they have the say on how things are, uh, are moving forward? Are, are conditions being attached to those relief, to those relief efforts? Well... To be honest, given the little um, that has been shown so far, um, we don't know. Uh, I would like to think that the state government has a lot to say in uh, in teaming up with uh, the Corps of Engineers and FEMA. However, if you look at the example that we have so far on the whitefish contract, it is a mystery, um, and it is... Uh, I think unfortunate that you know a small, quite inexperienced, um, uh, you know, company in Montana is now in charge of of uh, building up the grid in Puerto Rico, and uh, so when being asked about it, what I see it's a bunch of it's a lot of pointing fingers saying, "Oh no, it was the Fed who recommended." No, and the Fed say, "No, it was the." The, um, the Puerto Rico government who did it. And regardless of who did it at the end, you know, there were options like the, the mutual assistance program of the, of the power association that, you know, basically puts all the utilities in the U.S. together. Um, you know, they could have been the ones uh, doing this, you know, and did they need more money up front or not? You know, aren't those terms negotiable? Uh, you know, so it is it is very shady mm. uh, how this contract happened, and that's why 
you know, because of instances like that, that, you know, for us in the, in the, that are, you know, on the side of, of, uh, watchdogs or transparency of being, you know, wanting, uh, policies and, uh, and, uh, programs to be much more transparent and to benefit the most, then it's, it's, uh, extremely alarming what we're seeing so far. It is. And when uh, I hope, yeah. Yeah, well, when these tiny companies out of nowhere suddenly have these huge multi-million dollar contracts to restore uh, a power to Puerto Rico and nobody can really ex- understand or explain the process by which they have gained those contracts, that is uh, disturbing. Ramon Cruz, I've got just a minute or two left here. I know you uh, you had mentioned this uh, in part uh, you, and noted it over the weekend uh, to me via email that there that there is an important uh, Senate hearing on uh, hurricane relief happening on Tuesday in the U.S. Senate, and uh, they're discussing waiving environmental regulations. Uh, what what does that mean? What sort of environmental regulations are they waiving, well, and what are your concerns? Well, I have to point out that uh, that actually the, the hearing was canceled. Nobody, I mean, I'm not completely sure why. Uh, so it has been postponed, but there's no setup date yet okay uh, but it was on the on the schedule that uh, that was before uh, they mentioned the waiving of environmental regulations mm-hmm. um, you know that, that it is it is important to see um, the air quality uh, regulations I know that uh, that in the rounds in uh, in Washington uh, there is a um, there's a well, and I will throw it out there, you know, a, a company like Energy Answers that are trying to build a, uh, an incinerator uh, for a long time, and there has been, you know, uh, obstacle after, after obstacle, and they haven't been able to do it. Now, uh, I am sure there are probably ones uh, or, organ- or companies like that uh, looking to uh, relax the environmental regulations. They all claim that it's... Uh, state-of-the-art facilities. If it's state-of-the-art, then why do you have to, uh, really, uh, you know, ease some of the local environmental regulations? So, or even if, if some under NEPA, uh, you know, in uh, or the, the, the Environmental Protection Act in, uh, in uh, or Clean Water or Clean Air Act uh, at the federal level, they should not be lacked right now, mm. especially when you have people drinking water from rivers. So, uh, so that is very important to keep an eye, keep a watch on that, and for American citizens in the mainland to help the brothers and sisters in uh, in the island, and uh, you that have political um, uh, cloud in the in the state through Congress, then contact your Congress uh, members, your senators, and be sure that there's no. Uh, um, you know, isn't uh, uh, how do you call uh, you know a uh, relaxation of those environmental regulations uh, uh, for Puerto Rico. We are doing what we can here to get the word out, Ramon Cruz, and uh, your help is appreciated. I hope you'll uh, you'll stay in touch with us. Uh, you write at the end of your uh, op-ed at the Hill, which will point people to that uh, we, the people of Puerto Rico, are in desperate need, but we shouldn't trade the next fifty years of electricity away. 
for one year of urgency. It's time to look out for the collective well-being of all Puerto Ricans and maintain constant vigilance in the face of the inevitable fact that vultures may come dressed as angels. Uh, indeed, uh, Ramon, please stay in touch with us uh, as uh, as those uh, angel-dressed vultures show up in Puerto Rico. We'll do our best to get out the word, and we'll uh, point folks uh, towards your work at The Hill and also on the Twitters, where you are Ramon Cruz Diaz. Anywhere else that we should uh, uh, send folks uh, for we- for your websites or anything else, Ramon? Well, right now, I mean, we, uh, the Sierra Club, we're, we have a campaign to, uh, you know, redirecting a lot of the, of the, uh, I mean, the funding that we're getting uh, mm-hmm. back to community groups in the island. Uh, so far, uh, we have, uh, we're working with about uh, 25 to 30 different groups uh, in the island. So, uh, so that's a good uh, point. But uh, there's so many, there's so much need that I'm sure any of the groups that you uh, decide to donate is good. So thanks to you, Brad, and thanks to your audience. Thank you very much. That, of course, is at sierraclub.org. You can stop by there. Uh, Ramon Cruz, former Puerto Rican Energy Commission official, uh, now advising the U.N. on various environmental processes and uh, on the National Board of Directors at the Sierra Club. Ramon Cruz, thanks a bunch. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Wow, this is going to be a very, very big, very complex, very difficult project, but uh, I hope that we get the kind of oversight we need. Well, and it all must be done uh, while the nation right now, while the island, I'm sorry, is out of power across the whole, you know, so there's this desperate need to just get any power up at all right now. And then figure out how to build for the future. Right. So they essentially are going to have to rebuild the grid twice. It seems like very complicated, very messy. And yes, the vultures are circling to uh, try to take even more advantage of these uh, poor folks. All right. Uh, thank you, Des. Uh, our producer, Desi Doyen. My uh, thanks, of course, to Ramon Cruz and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it and all of the others anytime for free at bradblog.com or at your favorite uh, podcast site such as iTunes. Uh, Hope you'll give us a good review, a good comment, wherever you uh, download it from. Uh, You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks as ever to those of you who actively support the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, It is greatly appreciated. Uh, Any support you can offer, we thank you. All right, is that it? I think that's it for now. Uh, Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, Puerto Rico. Good luck, world.